Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're really excited that you're here today, and I said this at the 9 o'clock um, Really, I'm excited you're here, and I want to say thank you for just all the ways uh, that so many of you are engaging in the life of our church. It's one thing to attend, and, and that's great. That's a great first step. And if you're new here, we're glad that you're here. But really, the goal is to not just attend, but it's to engage further in the life of the church through things like serving. And there's an awesome team who serves here, or groups Daryl talked about, several of you have signed up for groups. And in fact, if you signed up for a group and uh, you're like, hey, what group am I in? We're like kind of bogged down with figuring out host homes and that kind of stuff. So if you, haven't been ta- if you haven't been contacted, you haven't been forgotten. So we'll get in touch with you this week. And uh, again, thanks to those of you who are just practicing generosity and leaning in every single week. Uh, we're really excited that you're here. Today, we're continuing this series we kicked off last week called The Way of Love, where we're looking at uh, relationships and really kind of trying to look in a practical way at different relational skills that we can carry with us uh, to help us be more loving to one another and have relationships that are emotionally healthy. And so to give you a quick recap, if you missed out on week one, we introduced our first skill, which we said was the skill of clarifying expectations. That it's really important in relationships to have clear expectations. And in fact, most of the conflict that exists in unhealthy relationships can be tied back to an unhealthy expectation. And so we said that unhealthy expectations are often unconscious, like we're not even aware that we have this expectation, it's just the way we've always done it, and so we kind of impose it on other people and think they ought to do it that way too. Uh, Sometimes our unhealthy expectations are unrealistic, right? Like we expect it to happen, but there's no way in this real world that it ever will happen in that way, and that can cause conflict. More often than not, the conflict surrounding our expectations happens because they're unspoken, Right? You may be aware of it. Maybe it's even realistic or a reasonable thing to want. You just haven't told the person that you want it or that you expect it. And so you haven't spoken it, but you're still upset over it. And that can cause all kinds of issues. And then there's the issue of unagreed upon expectations. That just because you expect it and you think it's the right thing doesn't mean that the other person or the other persons in the relationship think that that's a good thing. So it has to be agreed upon to be healthy. And, and so in light of that, we talked about two things that we need to stop doing. Uh, as it relates to our expectations, and then two things we can start doing to have healthier relationships. And the things to stop are to stop mind reading, right? Stop assuming you know why people do what they do. Stop jumping to the conclusion along the way. And connected to that, the second thing is to stop making judgments, to stop assuming other people's bad behavior is a result of their bad character, even though if we do the very same things, we always have a good reason or a good excuse, right? That's a judgment we're talking about there. So we said we need to stop doing those things, but instead we can start doing healthy habits, practicing healthy skills, like instead of mind reading, we should start having conversations. We should start actually talking about uh, where the other person is at, and instead of assuming we know, we should just dig a little deeper and be willing to have an honest conversation. And then we said it's helpful if we start to clarify our expectations and actually make them conscious, become aware of them, and make sure they're realistic, and then speak them and reach that point of agreement with the people in our lives, the people that we're in relationship with. So hopefully last week was helpful. Hopefully it was practical for you, and hopefully where we're going to go today will be as well. But to get us started today, I actually want to talk about icebergs. And you're probably like, cool, Eric, icebergs. Uh, If you're like me, I would be willing to bet 
most of us, when you think about an iceberg or whatever knowledge you have of icebergs, probably comes from the story of the sinking of the Titanic, right? Like that's kind of the most famous iceberg-related story that we have. And I don't know if it's because it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, which that's a free reminder if you didn't know, like get a bear or the little heart chocolates or like do something. Uh, but that's tomorrow. I don't know if that's why or if it's because it's Daryl's like favorite movie and he thinks that it's the greatest love story ever told. But I was thinking about the movie Titanic, right? And thinking about the story, I would be willing to bet if you've seen the 1997 James Cameron classic about the sinking of the Titanic, you can remember like this moment, right? Where this guy shows up, wait for him, right there. Remember what he says? Iceberg right ahead, right? And you can like see the panic in his eyes and then they all start getting on their little telegraph things and like everybody on the, like they're running and they're cranking the little telegraph things and like people are going like crazy and remember the big like piston thing on the motor and it starts moving the other way and that's really dramatic and everybody on the ship is yelling, hard to starboard, hard to starboard. And that's how I learned like boats and how they steer and that kind of stuff was watching that. But everybody's going crazy and I can remember being a kid not in 97, okay, my parents have some standards, but I remember watching it, <laughs> and I remember like thinking, why did they hit the iceberg, right? Doesn't it seem kind of obvious? Like it was right in front of them, and uh, like why did this boat have to sink? And this is just kind of free, fun Titanic trivia for you today, uh, if you're interested, but I actually did some research about it this week, and it turns out there are a couple additional factors beyond the obvious iceberg that made uh, the sinking of the Titanic such a tragedy. Uh, one reason that they ran into that iceberg is there were no access to binoculars, excuse me, let me try again. There was no access to binoculars on board the ship. Uh, in fact, the second officer, a guy named David Blair, uh, was the guy who held the key to the Titanic store of binoculars, which would have given them the ability to see those icebergs from a long ways away and course correct. Uh, but he had the key in his pocket and was actually transferred off the ship right before the ship left and never gave the key uh, to the officer who was taking his place. And so they didn't have access to the binoculars on board that could have helped them see what was coming down the road. Uh, another thing uh, that I learned this week is that uh, in 1985, when they actually went down and they found the wreckage at the bottom of the sea, uh, they tested some of the rivets that were made, the things that held the whole of the ship together, and they found that there was a disproportionate amount of a material called slag, which is like cheap, not good stuff, in those rivets. And, and so they kind of cut corners when they were building the ship. And had it been made of stronger material, it, it's possible that even though it hit that iceberg, it could have held together. But because they kind of cut corners, we all know what happened. And uh, you probably know this if you've seen the movie, but another tragedy of the sinking of the Titanic is there weren't enough lifeboats on board. Uh, in fact, there were only 20 lifeboats for that entire ship's crew and, and the passengers. And uh, the inspector, right before that maiden voyage, actually recommended that they needed 50% more. They needed more lifeboats. But the inspector was also fearful of losing his job because of all the publicity and the press around this, this large ship and the accomplishment that it was. So he just went with the bare minimum and said that 20 was okay. And then, again, if you've seen the movie, 20 lifeboats ended up departing from that sinking ship with 400 empty seats on them, leaving 1,500 people to the tragedy of facing frigid ocean waters. And I'm still team, there was room for Jack on the big door, uh, but you can wrestle that one for yourself. Because the real reason that I'm talking about icebergs, uh, the thing I want you to recognize today, if we can throw that picture back up, it's this, it's that, icebergs are more than they appear on the surface, right? Like if you can remember seeing the movie, there's like the big hunk of ice and it feels like, why didn't they just go around it? And again, they tried, like it was a big ship, I get it. But like the thing that they couldn't see was the 90% of the iceberg that was also under the water. 
right? So even if they had missed that visible part, it, it, the iceberg went far deeper and far wider under the water, and that's what scraped the hole, and that's what ultimately led to the sinking of the ship. Maybe you've even heard the phrase, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? That's saying that's just the stuff that's on the surface. That's just the stuff that you can see, but there's actually a whole lot more going on under the water, and, and the truth is because they were unaware of what they couldn't see, the results were disastrous. It was tragedy. And the reason I'm talking about icebergs today is because our lives can often be like an iceberg. Like our interior world can be a lot like an iceberg where there's like 10% that happens on the surface, right? There's the stuff that we like to share with one another. There's our posts on social media or, or the things that you like or the outfits that you wear, the personality that you want to project. There's like surface level stuff and we all get that. But the truth is every single one of us has a lot more going on below the surface than we talk about and then we acknowledge, and then we like to go towards. And most of us, for most of us, our emotions lie below the surface of who we are and how we operate. And many times, the tragedy is we are unaware of what we can't see, right? Many times we avoid going into that deeper water and really exploring our interior world. And here's why that's so important for where I wanna go today. It's because often we shipwreck our relationships because we're unwilling to check out what's going on below the surface. Like often, instead of diving in and discovering the real issues and the real things going on inside of us, we try and just solve everything at the surface and we try and like make little tweaks here and there or, or little adjustments along the way until eventually we reach a point where we've had enough. And typically it's at that point where many of us, rather than dealing with our emotions, rather than dealing what's going on under the surface, uh, I'm sure none of you would ever do this, but maybe you have a friend who decided to leave their group of friends because it was just not working for them. And so they picked up and they found a new group of people to hang out with. This one might feel personal. Maybe you know somebody who like found a different church, right? Because things were just getting a little funky. And so rather than like going under the surface and getting into the heart of the issues, it's easier to just check out somewhere else, right? We'll try again later, we'll try again somewhere else. Uh, maybe for you, you've experienced like loss in a relationship and things just fell apart and you ended up choosing a different partner rather than going into the deeper waters and working through what was happening. But here's the problem. It's that switching churches or groups of friends or even partners in a relationship, it's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, right? It doesn't stop the ship from sinking and it doesn't stop whatever is going on in that deeper part of you because there's this principle that I've heard that is just so true. It's wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Right? Wherever you go, you're bringing with you not only your surface level stuff, but all the depth of who you are, all the issues and, and the stuff that maybe even you don't understand, it goes with you. And an important truth about that is this, it's that unprocessed emotions, the stuff we leave under the surface, it doesn't go away and it doesn't die. It simply gets buried alive. Right? All that stuff just gets pushed down there and buried. And if you've ever seen a zombie movie, you know that like things being buried alive are not good things. They lead to bad things along the way. And so when these things come back up to the surface, often they do so at inopportune times and they cause chaos and they cause difficulty in our relationships. And so to walk in the way of love, like we're talking about in this series, to have emotionally healthy relationships, we have to actually go there and we have to actually deal with what's happening under the surface. We have to honestly examine and evaluate our emotions so that we can be free to fully love the people in our lives. And, and so just real quickly, before we move on to, to the next skill that we're gonna learn together, uh, I wanna give two disclaimers, and I gave these last week, uh, but the first 
is this, uh, th- this series, even though it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, it's actually about all kinds of relationships. These skills that we're talking about, uh, they're not just reserved for romantic relationships, so whatever your relationship status may be or, or wherever you're at, uh, the truth is these principles can help with your family, they can help at work, they can help with your friends, certainly in romantic relationships, uh, but really any time that people bump into other people, there's an opportunity for love, and these principles are transferable. So whatever your situation or circumstance might be today, uh, I hope that you know that today's for you too. And the other thing that I tried to make really clear last week is that I am not an expert in the way of love, okay? I am not the love doctor here to heal you all. Like, <laughs> in fact, as always, I'm a fellow learner with you, and what we're gonna do together is we're going to look at the scriptures for wisdom on how life was intended to operate. And actually, today, we're going to look primarily at Jesus as an example of what it looks like to live in an emotionally healthy way. But the scriptures are actually where this whole concept for this series came from, because in the first century, there was this church planter named Paul, and he would write letters to these early churches to try and explain what it meant to actually follow God and what this whole Christianity thing was actually about. And he writes this in a letter to the church at Ephesus, He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk, there it is, in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so the goal in this series is if you're here today, and I would be willing to bet there's some degree that this is true, if you're here today and you're like at least curious about what it means to follow Jesus, Right, if you're here today and you're just trying to figure out, like, okay, what does God want my life to look like? Uh, Paul tells us that part of what it looks like is following God's example. It's actually learning to live and to love and to operate in this world the way that Jesus modeled for us. And so our goal is to learn what it looks like to live that way of love. And, and along the way that our relationships in any context might actually grow to be healthier and to be more full in the way that God intended them to be. And this is a big deal. Because Jesus, when he walked this earth, actually made this big statement. He said that all of the law and the prophets, or in other words, all 600-something odd laws that you can find in the Old Testament, actually hinge on a simple command, a simple but demanding command. And he said it this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. It's the first and the greatest commandment, but a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, uh, Jesus says that everything God expects and wants from you actually hinges on you loving God with everything that you have and expressing that love to the people around you, that it's ultimately all about loving God and loving people. And so today, uh, what we want to do is we want to be brave enough to look below the surface and and dive into yet another skill that we can learn to help us do exactly that. And that skill we're going to look at today is learning what it means to become self-aware, learning what it means to become self-aware. And here's the thing, none of us like realizing we've been unaware of something, right? Like somebody pointed out to me last week, I think it was during the first service, so you might not have noticed, but last week, the entire talk, my collar was apparently like this, like half popped. It was not a fashion statement I was trying to make. I had a guitar on and I took it off and nobody told me. But like when I found out, I was like, well, that's embarrassing. That was like 35 minutes of me looking awkward. Nobody told me until afterwards, right? Like, maybe you're like, that's every week here. Okay, I hate to break it to you. Uh, but like, to maybe TMI this morning. But to be honest, one thing that I'm very fearful about every single week is like, are my pants zipped or not? Right? Because I'm going to be up here for a while. And if they're not, like, I'm talking about Jesus, but that's awkward. And what do you do? <laughs> and like, I would be willing to bet we've all been there, right? Like, maybe not talking to Jesus in front of 100 people and 35 minutes, but like, like we all had a moment like that where you became aware of something that you were unaware of, and it was deeply embarrassing. 
Maybe you've had that friend who's told you, like, hey, there's something stuck in your teeth, and you've been having a big meeting, like, <laughs> all day that you didn't know was there, or whatever it is. Like, none of us like discovering that we're unaware. And while being unaware of a wardrobe malfunction in honor of the Super Bowl, that might cause some embarrassment for us along the way, the truth is being unaware of our emotions and our motivations and the stuff that's beneath the surface, it can be more than embarrassing. It can actually be destructive in terms of our relationship and the life that God wants us to live. And so when I'm talking about becoming self-aware, here's kind of how I'll define it for our purposes today, that being self-aware means knowing your emotions and your motivations. That, that actually understanding what's going on under the surface and maybe not being able to tell the whole story of you because that's a full-time job, but like just having some awareness of what you're, what's happening emotionally and what's motivating those emotions to be there. And, and to be honest, I can already kind of feel it in the room. When you talk about emotions, like we tend to have a natural response. And some of us, our natural response to the whole emotional part of life is we try and resist our emotions. Right? We just try and pretend like they're not there. And if I just like push it down and ignore it, maybe it'll go away. And, and, and these are the people who are like, hey, I'm not doing this touchy-feely stuff today. Okay, that's not me. I don't need it. I'm good. And uh, to be honest, I get that. I, I've kind of like bounced between both extremes, which I think is kind of true of my personality. It's like all or nothing for me. But I've, tr I've tried to live that way where it's like, nope, don't feel anything. Don't need to worry about it. But in my experience, a lot of the times when we avoid emotions, when we avoid our feelings, uh, often we're just avoiding them because it's difficult or because it's uncomfortable or we're honestly afraid of what we might find if we actually went there. And that's why becoming an emotionally healthy person and living the way of love actually requires courage because it is much easier to keep things superficial, right? It's much easier to just keep cracking jokes about the thing that's bothering you instead of talking about the thing that's bothering you. It's much easier to stay distracted by Netflix or to, you know, take some substance that just numbs you out, makes you worry or think about it less and less along the way. But the thing is, if we don't face what lies below the surface, we'll ultimately pay a price. And that price will most likely be the intimacy that you could have with the most significant relationships in your life. That if you don't deal with what's going on under the surface, it has a real cost. So if you're here today and you're resistant to the conversation from the very start, I'm just asking you to give it a shot. Right? Lean in a little bit and see what God might bring to the surface for you today. Uh, but for others of us, maybe you don't avoid it. Maybe you don't resist your emotions. Maybe for you, you just resign yourself to your emotions. And you're like the all of the all or nothing, where you're just like, this is how I am, right? Here I am, ride the wave with me. Like, this is just my emotions, and there's nothing I can do about it. This is just where we're going. And, and when we choose to live in that way, like we're aware of our emotions, right? We're aware that there's something there. But when we're just resigned to being the way that we are and nothing can ever change me, what we're essentially saying is that we're not interested in exploring the why behind how we feel. We're not interested in going a little deeper, and consequently, we're not open to changing and to growing and to becoming the people that God wants us to be. We're not open to the very things that might transform and change our relationships. So today, I actually want to challenge us all to make a different choice, whether you want to resist it or whether you're like all in all the time. Uh, instead, I want you to be resolved to actually face your emotions, to actually face them in a healthy way, and to face them with growth in view, right? An open heart, a willingness to say like, hey, I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna acknowledge that I have an emotional world, and I'm gonna do the work to figure out why I am the way that I am, uh, to figure out why it's all there. Uh, this is a person who will say like, yeah, I, I want to learn this way of love, I wanna have emotionally healthy relationships because my friends are worth it, because my family is worth it, because I'm worth it, 
right? Because, because a healthy work environment is worth it. My marriage is worth it. In whatever context it may be, it's worth the discomfort or the pain of going under the surface and working through it. So I just want to challenge you uh, today as we move forward to be open and to be willing to actually go under the surface and consider what might be there for you. Uh, because the other reason this is a big deal is that this isn't just like psychology, good advice or anything like that. It's not like I learned it on Twitter. This is actually something that Jesus modeled for all of us because Jesus is self-aware. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I would actually venture to say that Jesus is the most self-aware person that there's ever been. And in fact, we often miss this, I feel like, because maybe you grew up in church or you have some concept of church or of God or of Jesus that tells you that like Jesus is holy, Right? He's set apart, he's other, he's, he's out there. And maybe you even grew up with kind of a fearful view of God. Like he, he told you all the rules and you had to do everything right. And he had like the lightning bolt ready. If you got off the path, he was going to take you out. And, and so you had this fearful view of God and God seemed inaccessible to you. But what we often miss in church is that although some of those things are kind of true, right? Like God is holy and he is set apart and he does have things he calls us to. The other reality is Jesus, when he walked this earth, was both fully God and fully human. And if Jesus is fully human, that means that he experienced the full range of emotions that you and I experienced along the way. Uh, Authors and pastors, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, who have kind of helped shape some of the teaching in this series, uh, phrased it in this way. They said, scripture portrays Jesus as one who had intense, raw emotional experiences and was able to express his emotions in unashamed, unembarrassed freedom to others. See, Jesus didn't resist emotion. He had raw, intense emotional experiences, but he didn't just let that like take him wherever it led. He actually learned how to express them unashamed and unembarrassed in front of others. And so for us today, what I want to do with most of our time is actually just show you what I mean by giving you examples from Jesus's life of how he experienced emotion and how it can be a clue to us of how we should experience it as well. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about it or noticed it before, but Jesus actually felt anger. Jesus felt anger along the way. And in so many of the stories we find in scripture, you know, when you think about Jesus, maybe you think about like peace-loving hippie Jesus with the sandals on, and, and you've heard about his compassion and his mercy, maybe even his desire for justice or for things to be set right. He's had, he has patience, right, as he interacts with people who ask the same ridiculous questions time and time again. But there were some groups that Jesus grew weary of. In fact, probably more accurately, there were groups of people that ticked Jesus off. And specifically, there were these groups of people uh, called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were religious leaders of their day. They were leaders in the Jewish faith who held a lot of power and influence, not only in the religious arena, but really over every arena of the people's lives. They would speak into people's finances. They would speak into their work habits and their family lives and on and on and on. And what these religious leaders tended to do is they made it their job to create hundreds and hundreds of additional laws or rules or regulations or footnotes to God's law based on their interpretation of what God said. And so these extra laws put this heavy burden on the people to try and live up to this standard. And it ticked Jesus off. Whenever Jesus saw this happening, he saw how people were struggling under the weight of the Pharisees' expectations and these unnecessary additions, and it made him angry. And there's a lot of ways we can deal with anger, right? Like, some of us, when we get angry, we're the kind of people who, like, 
unleash it, <laughs> right? You spiral into fits of rage, and suddenly you become Popeye the Sailor Man, although not as like PG, and, and you're saying all kinds of things, right? And you just let it go, and maybe your pastor's a little that way at times, but uh, all of us can respond in different ways. Some of us, rather than just unleashing our anger, we transfer our anger, right? So maybe you've had this experience where you were at work, and something upset you, and you didn't really know what to do with it, so then you drove home, and you're like, man, why am I being so short with my kids today? Right? Why did I just snap at my spouse? It's because you transferred your anger. Right? The problem was at work, but you brought it home, and, and it's messing up all these other areas of your life. Others of us, in fact, many of us, I think, rather than unleashing our anger, rather than just transferring our anger, we just try and conceal it. Right? We iceberg that bad boy, and we're like, I'm going to push it down, and I'm going to pretend it's not there, and if I don't see it, that means it's not doing anything, right? But that's not right, because most often what happens when we conceal our anger is it comes out in these little passive-aggressive ways, whether that's sarcasm or criticism or unnecessary hurt about things along the way. And so in contrast, like Jesus got angry, but how did he actually manage his anger? How did he express his anger? Well, first, Jesus clearly identifies what made him angry. Jesus clearly acknowledges what makes him angry. And in fact, Matthew records uh, one showdown Jesus had with the Pharisees where he says this. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. See, Jesus calls it out. He's like, hey, this is what they're doing, and it makes me angry. It's not okay. And maybe you've done that before, right? Like, this is kind of like the first step to expressing our anger. But if you just leave it there, it's really not that difficult to talk about other people, is it? (laughs) It's not that difficult to, like, point the finger and say, that's wrong. I'm angry about it. I don't like it. But Jesus didn't only clearly identify what made him angry. He went on, and he expressed his anger directly to the people who angered him. A few verses later, he goes directly to the Pharisees, and he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who you're trying to. See, Jesus is angry, but he processed and he expressed that anger in a healthy way. He identified what he was angry about, and then he talked about it. He did something about it along the way. Jesus didn't only get angry, but Jesus also felt sadness. Again, we don't always think about Jesus in this way, but there's a a famous story where one of his closest friends, a guy named Lazarus, uh, tragically passed away. And in fact, Mary, Lazarus' sister, had begged for Jesus to come and to do something about the situation. And Jesus arrived a few days late. Jesus shows up, and Lazarus has already passed away. And so Mary runs out to Jesus and falls at his feet, and she says these words that are just wrapped up in pain, and disappointment. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And maybe you've been there before, right? Maybe you've asked God for something and he didn't do it. And you're like, God, if you would have just moved, right? If you would have just heard me, if you would have just answered, things wouldn't be the way that they are. And it's so easy to get uh, this picture of God, like he's detached from our pain and our suffering. But I love how Jesus responds to Mary in these moments. In fact, if you know the story, you probably know that Jesus, just a few verses later, just a few moments later, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to resolve all the tension of this moment. He's going to perform this miracle, and he knew that, that people would see the power of God on display, and that in just a few moments, people would be celebrating, and they would be singing, and they would be dancing, and yet, how does Jesus respond to Mary's pain? 
it's wrapped up in just two words. John writes, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He didn't dismiss her pain. He didn't ignore her pain. He didn't say, Mary, it's all going to be okay and wrap it all up in a nice, neat little bow. Jesus let himself enter into Mary's pain. And he was willing to feel feelings of sadness. And, and not just sadness, open weeping. Right? And in our culture, that's like a taboo. That's a no-no. That's a weird thing. It's so common for us to feel afraid of sadness. And it's easy for us to fall into this unhealthy pattern of shutting off parts of our hearts because it doesn't feel like maybe we can handle the pain that's there or at least feels like socially unacceptable to go there. Uh, in fact, even if you're here today and you're like, no, I'm comfortable with the idea of sadness, many of us, even if we're okay with experiencing sadness, we struggle to express sadness because it feels like it's not okay. I, I can't tell you how many funerals I've been at, whether I was officiating or, or attending just as a church member or, or as a friend or even a family member, where I've had somebody come up to me and, and they get emotional at a funeral, right? And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm getting choked up. It's like, what is that? Right? What is that in our culture and in our world that we think it's not okay to express sadness, even in an environment deliberately created to create space for that? It's just this thing that we struggle with because sadness can feel like weakness to us. And so we often do our best to try and put a positive spin on every setback. We try and avoid it and smile through every heartbreak, right? But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wept. He felt free to express his sadness even with public tears. And again, he processed and he expressed his emotion in healthy ways. I don't know if you've ever thought about this one before, but Jesus actually felt anxious, right? Sometimes in church, we make things like anxiety and stress feel like they're the result of a lack of faith, but that's certainly not the case because if you look at Jesus's life on the very night that he was betrayed, he went away with his closest followers to this garden called Gethsemane and knowing that the cross was in front of him, right? This incredible sacrifice, this painful death, this, this huge thing in front of him was there. He started to pray. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. That's some intense anxiety and intense stress, right? Jesus was so emotionally wrapped up in what laid in front of him. He, he was sweating drops of blood. That's how his like, body's physiological response to his stress was coming out. Jesus was engaging in, in stress, and though none of us will ever face what Jesus had to face, we still experience a lot in this world that can leave us with worry or, or anxiety or stress or fear. And often, again, we turn to unhealthy things to try and numb that feeling to try and deny that feeling, to try and push that feeling down, whether that's drinking or overeating or overworking or, or binge watching or whatever it may be. We try and stuff it down and stuff it down, but Jesus didn't deny or hide his stress and fear and anxiety from his heavenly father. He brought it right to him, right? He acknowledged it and he cried out for help and he processed and he expressed his emotions in healthy ways. And just in case you think I'm painting a picture of angry, moody Jesus this morning, Jesus also experienced positive emotions too. Jesus frequently felt and expressed gratitude. 
And in fact, there's, there's time and time again where Jesus lived a life of thankfulness to his heavenly father. He expressed his gratitude both privately when he went away to pray and in public when he acknowledged what God was doing in the world. And just to give you a quick example, there's one occasion where Jesus' disciples returned from this assignment that he had given to them. And they came back and they reported that people were actually turning their hearts to God, that they were hearing Jesus' message and they were responding to Jesus' message. And with gratitude, here's what Jesus says. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. In other words, like, God, thank you because you're moving and you're moving in unexpected ways and I want to acknowledge that. Jesus was willing to even engage in positive emotions and maybe it seems counterintuitive today uh, to say that it's hard sometimes to engage in our positive emotions, but sometimes we do, don't we? Like, have you ever been afraid to be happy because you were so afraid that you might lose something? So you didn't even want to go there. You didn't even want to celebrate it because you were afraid it wouldn't last. Or have you ever held back from expressing gratitude or appreciation to someone in your life who deserves it just because it felt awkward or uncomfortable? Those positive emotions are there for a reason too and they're meant to be expressed and Jesus wasn't afraid to be happy. He expressed his emotion in a healthy way. And so the point I'm trying to raise today is that Jesus is the most self-aware person who ever lived. Jesus was the most uh, self-aware person who had this full sense of how he was feeling and he could express it in a healthy way without shame and without embarrassment. And the point for us today is if you're here and you want to follow Jesus, right, you want to do what Paul was talking about and follow God's example, then if our goal is to become more like Jesus, that means we have to become more self-aware. We have to do this honest examination, not just of what's going on with us at the surface, but what's going on in your heart. It's not optional if you're a follower of Jesus to go into that deeper water and to wrestle with what you find. And just to be clear, like the purpose of looking inward, the purpose of engaging in our emotional world, it's not to become self-absorbed. It's not just to let that whole pursuit rule every day or every situation in our lives, but it's to actually open ourselves up to invite God to transform that part of our lives to help us explore and discover what's there. And as we open ourselves up to God, then his spirit can actually help reveal to us what's there. He can help illuminate the emotions that are there that need to be processed and that need to be expressed. He can actually heal some of the hurt that's there in our heart that we've been carrying with us from environment to environment. And here's the thing, God wants to help you become a healthier, more full version of you. But the way that he does that is by helping you grow in your awareness of you. And the end result isn't to be self-absorbed, but it's actually to be self-aware so that you can love God and love other people in the way that he intends all of us to love. So as we wrap up, uh, I just for a few minutes, want to like set this on the bottom shelf and make it really practical. Because I know I spent a bunch of time saying like, Jesus is awesome, Jesus was self-aware, and maybe you're like, cool, I want to do that. How do I make it happen? I want to give you a simple exercise that you can do and like, I mean, capital S simple. This is gonna feel a little elementary, bottom shelf. But the thing is that like a lot of this self-awareness practice, it is simple. It's just a little uncomfortable, so often we don't do it. Uh, But this exercise I wanna give you is something you can practice that involves just two questions. And the first question that I would invite you to ask yourself is simply this, how am I feeling right now? I told you it was simple, right? (laughs) Like, how am I feeling right now. But I mean, to be honest, it's simple, but if you're like me, sometimes that's a difficult question to answer. 
sometimes that's a difficult question to answer because the pace of our life is moving so fast that we're like, I don't have time for that, right? <laughs> like, how am I feeling right now? I can tell you how I'm thinking most of the time. I can tell you what I think about just about anything. But how am I feeling? What's going on in, in that emotional world for me? It takes a little more effort. It, it takes a little more time. And maybe for you, like as a way of practicing, practicing this right now, maybe it's helpful to run through the emotions that Jesus experienced and expressed. Like in this moment right now, if you're honest, are you angry? Like is there something unresolved from your past? Are you angry about something that happened at home or something that happened at work this week and it's still just like there with you, eating away at you on the inside and you're just kind of like trying to keep the pace and run from it? Are you sad? Are you in a disappointing season right now? Are you missing someone this weekend? Right? Did, did you get passed up for an opportunity and you're feeling uh, just the disappointment of that? Are you fearful? Right? Did something happen with your job or, or maybe with your family or your kids that has you, has you stressed out and has you worried? Are you waiting for the test results from the doctor and, and you don't know what to do with that waiting and that endless like, anticipation of what it might say? Are there conflicts happening in your family that you don't know how to handle? Or are you grateful? <laughs> are you happy? Are there good things happening in your life and maybe you just haven't taken the time to acknowledge it and to stop and to express it, whether it's with your friends or your family or your church or your job or whatever opportunity might be in front of you? See, pausing and actually asking, like, how am I feeling right now can help us go a little deeper below the surface. It can help raise that awareness of ourselves. And again, if you're like me, and maybe this feels like a little difficult, even though it's a little elementary, and it's like, I don't know, I'm fine, right? I'm happy, or whatever. Uh, there's actually a really helpful tool called a feelings wheel. And uh, it looks something like this. I picked one that had smiley faces to make it even more elementary feeling. But uh, basically the way this works is it can help you find language for how you're feeling if you're struggling to have the words. And you can pull this thing out and say like, maybe you're like, yeah, I'm in the sad category and I don't know why. Well, then you like keep working your way out through the circle. And maybe it's because you're guilty, right? And that doesn't always feel like sad, but maybe as you process through it, you can get to that thing that's happening. Maybe for you, it's like, no, I, I feel inadequate, and that's what's making me feel sad, or whatever it may be. Uh, something like this is a simple tool that can help you actually practice this exercise. And if you want, I mean, you can just Google feelings wheel, and there'll be like 100 million thousand whatever results that come up. Uh, just pick one. And if you need help putting language to your emotions, something like a feelings wheel can be a great tool. Uh, but the point is that identifying the emotions that we're experiencing is the first step to self-awareness. But to really take it to the like, transformative level, the level where we actually work through whatever's going on inside, I challenge you to ask the second question, which is this. Why do I feel this way? How do I feel? And why do I feel this way? Like, where is it coming from? And maybe in that, you'll discover stuff that you've been carrying for a long time. You're like, you know what, I, I'm angry right now, but it's not about anything happening in my world right now. It's something from my past that I've just pushed down and I thought would stay under that iceberg, but it's not. It's showing up time and time again. Uh, maybe for you, it's like, man, it is something recent, but I just haven't talked about it. I didn't connect the dots because we move, again, so fast that we often don't take the time to work through what's really going on. And, and here's the thing. I know this seems simple, but here's what I would challenge you with today. Like, what if you took this exercise and you asked these two questions, how am I feeling right now? And why do I feel this way? And you didn't just make it like a Sunday morning exercise, but what if you made it an every morning exercise? Like, what if you took five minutes for each question 
And some of you are like, that is too much emotion in my world. So like, what if you take one minute for each question, right? How do I feel? And why do I feel that way? I would be willing to bet if you did that, not just once, not just in a moment, but over several moments, over time, what you would begin to notice is you would notice some patterns emerging between how you feel and why you feel. You would notice the things that maybe are upsetting to you, the things that can kind of set you off, right? And, and as you do so, you'll grow in your awareness of the you that God made you to be. And, and you'll grow in your awareness of what you bring to the table in every relationship you have, whether that's with somebody significant, a family member, somebody at work, your neighbor, wherever you go, there you are. But what if you did the work to discover what's under the surface? What if you did the work to ask these questions and allow God to meet you there? Let me pray for you to that end. God, uh, this topic, it's another one that I think can feel so simple. It can feel so obvious. And in fact, it can feel so obvious that we just dismiss it. But the truth is, it's not easy. It's not easy to be aware uh, for, for many of us of what's going on under the surface. But God, I pray for my friends here today that they would be people who have the courage to go there, that they wouldn't just resign themselves to living a lesser life than what you want for them, that they wouldn't just function at the surface, but that they would really live by going beneath and discovering uh, what's going on inside of them. And so God, I pray for the person here today who's like, just doesn't have language for it. Help them discover the power of this exercise, of asking how you're feeling and actually digging through it. And God, I pray for the person who has some difficult things in their past that needs to work through why they feel and why they act and why they operate the way that they do. And God, again, we want to pursue this not to be self-absorbed, but really to be self-aware and to bring our whole selves to every relationship and to our entire experience of life on this earth because that's what you modeled for us, and that's what you call us to. You don't call us to push ourselves down under the surface. You call us to present our whole selves to you and to present our whole selves to the people around us. So God, help us to do so, and uh, just lead us throughout this week as we try and grow in the way of love. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.